This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, I have had the good fortune over the course of the last couple of decades, quite frankly, of getting to meet a lot of people that I really enjoyed listening to on the radio or watching on television. But there have been a few occasions where I've actually gotten to befriend people that I was always a fan of. And that certainly applies to our next guest. Uh, I am so in awe of our next guest because not only is he a good friend, but he has some he's someone who is seemingly able to connect with people in every form of communication. He is a Yale trained Actor, a phenomenal actor who I've seen perform on stage and is incredibly moving, whether he's performing Shakespeare or whether he's playing a garbage man. He's somebody that, as a television broadcaster, can do serious journalism as easily as he can do Mr. Puniverse and, uh, you know, basically, for lack of a better description, trash television. He's somebody that can do talk radio in a monologue format as well as he can do it in a debate format. He's somebody that can do talk radio, um, where which is comedic, where he's playing a character, as well as he can do serious political commentary. And he's just somebody that uh, I've always been in awe of, who's able to connect with people in every way that involves telling a story. And now... He's added podcaster to his substantial and ever-growing resume. Very, very pleased uh, to welcome legendary TV and radio broadcaster and the host of the new Richard Bay Talk podcast, the appropriately named Richard Bay. Hello, Richard. Thanks for joining me. Yes, and after that introduction, I'm going to be learning the international sign language for the deaf so I could could add a new forum. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you already knew sign language. Uh, you know, that's the thing that's so annoying about you is, you know, so a lot of us work at radio for a long time to maybe uh, do something decent at it. You just go into you just go into medium after medium and just immediately seem to have a mastery of it. Well, I well, listen, I have to say that it's a mutually um uh, it's a mutual admiration society. I think that what you've done with this overnight show, you are right on spot. You have developed a core audience. You're doing the right thing. You have engaged with that audience. And the other thing uh, that you're saying uh, in terms of you know what I've done across mediums, I, I think it all has to do with relating to people mm. on an intimate and a personal level connecting with people one-on-one rather than what they call broadcasting, you know, say, oh, I'm speaking to millions right now. I, when I first began television and I looked into that tally light on the, on the camera, my feeling was 
Well, it's it's not so much that people would say, uh, how can, how do you look right into that camera and talk to uh, hundreds of thousands of people? And I was talking to one person. What I would in acting, we have something called substitution, where you take somebody that you have an emotion about and you substitute that person uh, for what's going on in the scene. And I would look into that tally light and I'd think about somebody that I loved, my father or a girlfriend or a child, and I'd speak to them in that way. Mm. And, you know, I on television, I tried to do that. On radio, I've tried to do that. And in the podcast, I've tried to do that. To make that intimate connection with I've- the listener. I've I've listened to all three editions of the podcast. I think all three ha- have been really, really terrific, and I think people will get a lot out of them. We'll talk. It's about- getting better though. Today's was the best, I think. I mean, as with everything, and I've realized this over my career too. You start out with a new format or a new show, and you hit bumps. Sure, and it's not very. Uh, it's not smooth. You're you're. It's a bit faltering. Some things work, and then you start to get your. Your sea legs. Um, yeah, your sea legs. Absolutely. And I think today's show uh, began to do that. Well, so I mean, we're going to tell people how they can watch it in a second. Uh, my favorite so far was the first, though, because I'm so interested in you and your career. And you spend a half hour just describing your personal and professional life journey, which I find so interesting. And I'm not going to ask you to repeat much of what you said on that one, because I've done, I think a two hour interview with that, with you on that already, but uh, because I want people to go back and listen to the podcast, but just explain to folks briefly, if you can, because I know there's a lot of folks that remember you from your days on TV in both New York and Philly, how you made the transition from being a, a, a theater actor trained at Yale in, in theater to being on television, to eventually doing, uh, you know, Mr. Puniverse. Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, from a very early age, I always wanted to be an actor. And I went to uh, college as a theater major, then went to uh, Yale Drama School with a lot of the most famous people in the business today. Uh, and was um, um, I, I graduated with an MFA and was hired by the repertory company. After that, I spent 10 years Broadway, off-Broadway, I understudied the National Theater of Great Britain. I went on tours. I did regional theater. And uh, I was doing a play in L.A., and I came back to New York. And even though I was working 48 weeks out of 52, I was broke. And I was 29 years old. I was about to turn 30. And I remember I was, I was in the Yale Club, but you know, because uh, they have a pool, and I was lying on one of their cots, and I said, I said to myself, dear God, is this what you want me to do? I'm going to be in the theater doing the greatest literature of drama ever created with interesting people. But I'm people my age now are buying their first home. They're starting families. I said, is this what's in store for me? And then I had a girlfriend who I'd met in L.A., and she had an audition for WCBS in New York. I came in and auditioned with her. Um, Uh, I got the part. It was a show called Two in the Town. She didn't. And we're still very close friends, and I love her. Uh, But the relationship didn't last after that. I can imagine. there, I went to Philadelphia. I replaced Maury Povich on uh, People Are Talking, their live morning uh, talk show. Uh, From there, I came to New York and did People Are Talking, and uh, later uh, One uh, Nine Broadcast Plaza, and then the Richard Bay Show. 
And then years later, I, I, I came to WABC radio. And after that, the Wall Street Journal this morning, um, Sirius XM and WWRL. That pretty much covers my resume. Well, and people should wa- go back and watch the, the whole thing. I'm going to tell folks how they can do that in just a minute. For people that remember you when you were on this station, you were doing sort of a, a crossfire on, on, on methamphetamine with Steve Malsberg called The Buzz. It was uh, an incredibly entertaining show. Uh, I, right. I still remember a lot of the discussions that you guys had, a lot of the arguments that you guys had. Um, you were throughout the Trump administration a big Trump critic, and uh, if folks go back and look at your Facebook postings, if folks look at your commentaries, you're still a Trump critic. And I know a lot of the people that backed Joe Biden did so basically because he they didn't want Donald Trump, and they thought he would be a, a good alternative to Donald Trump. Biden uh, has certainly faced a lot of challenges. Some of the polls show that even some Democrats are not too happy with what he's doing, uh, whether it's the Afghanistan withdrawal, whether it's the uh, handling of the Ukraine situation, whether it's the uh, the inflation and supply chain issues, uh, whether it's the uh, uptick in crime or the situation at the border. He's certainly facing some challenges legislatively and policy-wise, some of his own doing some maybe that he's being blamed for um, unfairly. As somebody that voted for President Biden, how do you think he's doing after a year? Well, I think I think he's got a tough road to hoe, and I think a lot of these things that happened, for instance, the um, uh, the outbreak of Omicron. I mean, you know, one of the things was it, it looked, um, you know, last summer as if we were through the, uh, uh, you know, through the uh, infection, the COVID infection uh, plague, and then it came back again, and it was uh, uh, pretty serious. It's been pretty serious for the last few months. Um, as far as if you're looking for me to criticize Biden, no, no, I'm I'm looking for your no, honest no, opinion, no. whatever it is. Well, I do think that some of the some of the legislative proposals, to be honest with you, I agree with Joe Manchin and to a smaller degree Susan Collins. Uh, you know that there were some of these things that he could have compromised on, and I wish he had compromised on them. I think that extending unemployment insurance through July rather than September and making it a $300 bump is one thing. I mean, there, there are things that could be, could have been cut back rather than um, insistent on fully expanding them. And I wish that uh, he had done some of those things. As far as inflation is concerned, inflation, like COVID, is a worldwide problem. Um, you know, the United States, we have 7.5 percent inflation, but we also have, uh, you know, 4 percent unemployment. 4 percent unemployment mm. is 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 incredible. We have a high GDP. Um, in fact, when Trump was running, he promised four, five, six percent GDP growth. He never he never even hit three percent. And of, of course, it's 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 somewhat exaggerated because of COVID. But, you know, we've got over 5% GDP growth. We have a very, uh, the economy is too hot right now. Um, And, uh, you know, unemployment, the way you get rid of inflation, usually, and it's what happened during Reagan, is that you create a recession, and you take the pill of recession first, and then uh, the economy stabilizes. 
I don't think anybody wants us to go through a recession uh, to take the castor oil, the financial castor oil, to get back and be stabilized. But inflation sooner or later will take care of itself. What else? Um, Afghanistan, he got us out of Afghanistan. And there again, it was, as far as my estimation, it was it was unpredictable that the Taliban would uh, would um, enter Kabul so quickly and that the government would not only collapse, but they would fly out the door immediately. I mean, uh, 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 the, the president of Afghanistan had said, I will stay here and fight. He could have stayed and negotiated with the Taliban for some uh, more orderly transition, but he didn't. He just split. So, yeah, it, Afghanistan was getting out was a mess, but it was it was an incredible feat to get so many people out of that country uh, in a matter of ten days. What did they get out? One hundred and thirty thousand, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. more. It, so it, that is an incredible feat, and we did lose, uh, you know, some American servicemen. Uh, but that too, that was a terrorist attack. What do you, what do you, what are you going to do? You know, so. In estimation, yes, I wish we had a younger, more virile, more um, inspiring uh, Democratic leader in the White House. I think I think Biden's presentation, uh, verbal presentation, is is lacking, uh, and it's not only his age; it's it's the way he speaks, his mm-hmm. downward inflections. I mean, it, you know, Intel just announced. One of the big problems with our economy is that uh, we don't have those computer chips. They're necessary for almost everything that, you know, that we use in modern life and also necessary for automobiles. And that's slowing down automobile production. Well, those microchips are made in either China or in Taiwan, which will someday be, it seems, a part of communist China. But Intel just announced I think I, I, I think it's three billion or more. They're going to start producing computer chips in Ohio. They're building a, a major new facility there. Now, if Donald Trump had been president, he would have been there with a shovel saying, sure. yes, we're bringing this industry home. It, instead, it, it's been hardly reported. You're right. You're, I, mean, yeah. I mean, his messaging is 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 not good. I will agree. And when he speaks, he speaks with a downward inflection. Uh, in the theater, I was taught that if you end your sentences with an upward inflection, people will continue listening to what you have to say, which is just <laughs> what I did. It all, it, all, it all goes to what I said at the outset, which is uh, you are a, a master communicator. And uh, I certainly w- I, I think not only President Biden, but a lot of us could take lessons from uh, your your masterful use of uh, of language and intonation. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Richard Bay. He's just started hosting a uh, podcast. It's called Richard Bay Talk. Uh, you can get it on YouTube you and get it on Google Podcasts. We'll find out all the ways uh, that you can listen to it. You know, Richard, one of the things I always enjoyed about your show when you were discussing uh, more serious issues as opposed to, you know, the, the kind of the uh, the frivolity and the fun of the Richard Bay show, which I also enjoyed immensely, was that even though you uh, you had a, a point of view that you shared with the audience, you always seemed like a uh, like a pretty honest broker. You always gave 
uh, the other side, whether it's callers or whether it's guests, uh, an opportunity to be heard. And you always, um, you know, responded to the potent arguments on whether hot button issues like the war in Iraq or, um, you know, something, things that were a little bit more local. One of the things that, uh, you know, we see these days is that you have these whole media eco chambers on the left and on the right that give no coverage to the stories that are dominating the other ones. I mean, you watch Fox News or Newsmax or OAN especially, and then you watch MSNBC and other, you know, progressive networks, and you would think you're living on two different planets. Uh, How much of a problem do you think the sort of polarized media environment is in terms of creating a polarized American populace? Well, you called it an echo uh, chamber. It's an echo chamber, yes. And I'll tell you this. When I have the TV on, I am constantly flipping between MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News, and even Tucker Carlson, to see what's – and, well, I, I uh, to see what, what the other side is talking about. Now, you had uh, Michael Smirconish, I believe, on your show Yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. I think right. he was on Thursday. All right. He's – He's got one of the best shows on TV. Agreed. And Agreed. I knew Mike in Philadelphia. When I lived in Philadelphia, he was a, a political, uh, a Republican political manager for a, a, the Republican candidate. Right. Frank Rizzo. There. He was, no, he, well, I don't know if he worked for Rizzo, but I think it was Green who was running in Philadelphia, and he was his campaign manager. But he was also involved in Republican politics in Philly, which was not especially robust. And when when he was offered a talk show host position on a station in Philadelphia, I forget which one it is, he actually called me and he asked me for advice on what he should do, how he could get an agent, where he should go with this, uh, about my agent, um, and um, you know, I mean, and uh, considering where he is today, I'm not saying that I, you know, that and I, I in any way you know, made his career, but I did help him in the very beginning, uh, giving him advice. And I think, I think he has one of the best shows on the air. And uh, one of the things that he does is he does go outside, uh, you know, the CNN box. He does also uh, bring on guests who present alternative points of view. And one thing I really love is when he has that poll he understands how to format a show, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he has that poll at the very beginning with a um, provocative political question. And I have to tell you, I can't wait until the end to see how, even though they're CNN viewers, I want to see how they voted. And so he he keeps you watching that show, and I think he does a great uh, – other than uh, Fareed Zakaria, uh, those two are about the best you know, on television, I think, in terms of, and I listen to every Sunday morning show. You're talking about podcasts. On Sunday, I start downloading the Sunday morning shows, and then I go for a run for two hours, and then I go to the gym, and I listen to everything, you know, from the CBS show um, to uh, Meet the Press to Fox News, where, uh, uh, you know, Chris Wallace used to be. Uh, so I, and I listen to all, and including Fareed Zakaria. But uh, Smirconish's show, I record and I watch that night. So I certainly am, you know, overloaded with information by Sunday evening. But uh, just going back to uh, w- what I was asking, though, 
Do you find that the fact that there, the, both of these these uh, media spheres, the the right and the left, seem interested primarily in playing to their own version of the cheap seats, rather than having an honest conversation or um, you know having someone that would be a credible spokesman for the other side on? And there are exceptions to this. I, I don't mean to paint with such a broad brush, but in in the overwhelming majority of, the, of cases. It's basically playing to people that already agree with what the subject matter is. Do you think that serves to fan the flames of division, or do you think we'd be this divided no matter what the media was covering? Well, I think it certainly does fan the flames, and I, I, I don't know anybody who would argue the other way. And it's principally because people are looking for uh, ratings. Uh, when Phil Boyce was at WABC, he used to talk about P1 topics. And those were topics that would get the listening audience uh, excited and angry and upset. And there would be three of them, and and people would kind of stick to those. But it's certainly true on the uh, you know on the left as well. When you uh, you know when you watch MSNBC, sometimes it's the same stuff over and over and over again, and uh, and it's tiresome, and it is. Divisive. I mean, I you know just before this, I was and and all day actually, I've been looking into this John Durham thing, which is a new, uh, in my opinion, a pseudo scandal that's brought up. Um, a, a new uh, you know Donald Trump came out today. He's not on Twitter, I think anymore, but he came out with something that he said: if America was stronger, we would be executing the people involved in mm. this. It's a big nothing burger. Nobody was spied upon. What they did was there was a computer company that could measure the pings between uh, the Russian Alpha Bank and, uh, you know, uh, uh, an entity uh, that Trump was connected with. There was no nobody read emails or heard messages. It just showed that the two IPS addresses were pinging each other. That's all it was. And if this was a matter of spying, then get John Durham to charge the guy that ran the company. His name was Jaffe, I think. Charge him with espionage, you know, uh, with hacking. But that's not what happened here. There's only been one guy charged, uh, or maybe there's maybe two, but there's Michael Sussman, who is that lawyer. And evidently there is one person in the FBI who said, it's it, there's no written account of this. There were, were no other agents in the room as there were when Michael Flynn was being interrogated by the FBI. And he says that um, uh, the, uh, the the lawyer never revealed that his firm was connected to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Now, let me just remind you of one more thing. When it comes to the Steele dossier, everyone has forgotten. Who gave the Steele dossier to the FBI? Well, it was McCain, right? John McCain. And guess who prodded him and supported him? Was it was and it Lindsey Graham? It was Lindsey Graham. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you never hear that mentioned uh, at all. And uh, this is uh, exactly uh, the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And I want to point out, lest anyone think that you are, you know, a... Uh, a cheerleader for Hillary Clinton, uh, you never voted for Bill Clinton. You talked about voting for Ross Perot and Bob Dole, and then you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton the first time she ran for Senate. You voted for Rick Lazio. So it's not exactly as if you're a Hillary Clinton partisan uh, giving this analysis. I, I am not a, I, you know, I wasn't the, I was really 
pretty much a Hillary Clinton critic until I saw her sit for 11 hours at the Benghazi hearing. And I thought her performance was stellar. You know, I mean, am I going to vote for a guy that I, you know, Trump, who I think is corrupt, you know, not that intelligent, uh, corrosive, or Hillary Clinton, who is, I think, competent and also somewhat corrupt in her uh, in her dealings. You know, I mean, I don't think either one of them were the and 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 Biden and uh, listen, I know you'll your listeners will do some results in disgust, but and I know they would never have a chance in hell of ever winning. But I, I would be very happy to see Pete Buttigieg and Stacey Abrams on a on a, uh, a presidential ticket. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure you would. I think you're speaking for a lot of uh, a lot of folks on the uh, on the center left. Uh, Richard, I could talk with you all day, but very quickly, I'm so pleased that you're doing this podcast. Uh, tell people, why did you fi- finally decide to do it? I had suggested this to you a couple of times, and uh, uh-huh. you, you'd always kind of shrugged and said, eh, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm doing my own show on Facebook, basically. Uh, we have great discussions on my Facebook page. What made you try join the other 11,000 people that are doing their own podcast? Yeah, I know. Everybody and his dog and his cat has a podcast now, and now Richard Bay. Um, well, there's a producer who produced my shows at Sirius uh, XM uh, when I was there named uh, Albert Reynoso. And he lives in Florida and I live in Florida. We live about an hour away from each other. And uh, he's a great guy. He's intelligent. He's diligent. He's creative. And we would see each other from time to time. And he, and he always said, whenever you want to do a podcast, I'm here, you know, I'll, I'll be the producer for it. And he's been saying that for the, last couple of years. And then I met this guy. He was visiting his niece in the building, a guy from England. And uh, the second time I saw him, he said, I went on the internet and I saw what you did. He said, you have got to be doing something, you know, uh, creative. He said, and I said, ah, you know, I'm so old and whatever. And he said, and I know this is going to sound silly, but he said to me, oh my God, you're not too old. You have the face of a cherub. <laughs> you know, Richard, I, I have to run, uh, unfortunately, but I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the podcast as I've done. I've subscribed on YouTube. You could search Richard Bay Talk, uh, but it's also available on Google Podcasts, and pretty soon it's going to be available wherever podcasts are, are available. Just search Richard Bay Talk. And if anyone on the right thinks they won't enjoy this podcast, I have to tell you, at the end of each podcast, there's a great vintage clip uh, from yesteryear. Sometimes it might have to do with the Central Park Five. Sometimes it might have to do with a classic interview with somebody like Steven Spielberg. If you're interested in what's happening in the news today or you're interested in Richard Bay show Nostalgia, it's a podcast that's absolutely essential viewing or essential listening. Just search Richard Bay Talk. Richard, it's always a treat to talk with you. I'll see you the next time you're in New York. If, if you're looking for a cherub, there is uh, <laughs> Curtis Lewa. On the last one is from the ninth from 1989. Looks like a cherub. He is so young. Anyway, Frank, thanks for giving me this opportunity. And as well, I'll be in New York in March. Let's try to get together. I, I will see you then, my friend, uh, Richard Bay. On your child. Oh, thank Bye-bye. you, thank you very much. Looking forward to introducing you. Uh, check him out on YouTube, Richard Bay Talk.